Our second scripture lesson this morning comes from the first chapter of Luke. Let us continue to listen to God's word to us this day. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For the younger listeners who are with us this morning, I have three things for you to be listening for. The first, what is another name for the scripture that we read today? The second, why, why did God choose Mary? And the third, what does Mary's song point out? So three things you can be listening for. I want to invite you to close your eyes and imagine Mary. What does she look like? What is she wearing? What does she sound like? 
what words come to mind in describing her. Well, I could be wrong, but I'm guessing the Mary you envisioned had words like meek and mild to describe her. She was probably pretty quiet, perhaps a bit doe-eyed, as she stared at the baby she cradled in her arms. I'm also going to guess she was wearing something blue. Mary is always wearing something blue. But overall, the point is that I'm guessing the Mary you envisioned seems calm, angelic, perhaps. This is the image of Mary that the world seems to want us to call to mind. Anglo cultures and some other cultures around the world tend to domesticate and to silence Mary, letting her out to praise God briefly in the Magnificat, which we read today, but in a subversant, subvertant, subservient, there it is, kind of way. But it turns out Mary, as often experienced in other places of the world, is a prophet with all the bold and confident traits that we associate with the word. She is anything but meek and mild, and she's completely unexpected. A few years ago, I had the privilege of being part of an interfaith Thanksgiving service at a local temple. I had never been to or been a part of this service before, and so I was glad to have the chance to meet clergy from different churches and temples and to celebrate God's abundant blessing in our lives. I sat in a row with seven other clergy folk and was one of two women and the youngest by probably 25 years. I was glad to see so many people from the congregation that I was serving that were there at the service. And so after it was over, I talked to many of them. Well, I wore my clerical collar, you know, that little white amidst the black. I wore that for the event as I knew we wouldn't be wearing robes. And almost every member of the congregation remarked on it, saying things like, Lindsay, I don't think I've ever seen you quite like this before. Or, I've never seen you look so formal. You look so professional. Or, Lindsay, this, right here, this looks good. Well, I would guess I would get some of these surprised reactions from folks as Presbyterian clergy don't usually wear collars, and we tend to think of that as more of a Catholic priest ensemble. And the more people who said something to me about it, the more honest I got until I started responding, I wear my collar to events like this because people often have a hard time believing that I am a pastor, to which Everyone responded, hmm, I can see that. (laughs) Well, I share this story not to disparage anyone, but as an illustration, as the types of conversations I have on a regular basis with people who are not trying to be rude or inconsiderate. They're just genuinely surprised about who I am and the work that I'm called to. When I served in a hospital and would walk into a patient's room and say, hi, my name is Lindsay and I'm the chaplain, often the response I got was, oh, a lady chaplain. (laughs) Only once in my 10 years of ordained ministry and several years of service before that has someone said to me, you are exactly what I expected. When I heard this, I laughed out loud because that comment was unexpected and caught me completely off guard. All of this is to say that when I hear that God is working through unexpected people, 
such as an older woman like Elizabeth, who even gets a name, I rejoice. And when I hear about an angel of the Lord appearing to a young woman, saying, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you, I rejoice. You see, God chose Mary not because she was obedient and mild-mannered, but because God knew she had an adventurous spirit. Whenever we hear about Mary, we hear how she's traveling all over the place and taking risks. God chose Mary because she was willing to take on a challenge. God chose Mary because of the ways she was able to articulate God's love and God's message for the people. And while she's an unexpected choice, as she's a young, unmarried woman, there is also nothing unexpected about her because we know God's pattern of calling folks who would be last to be picked for the team if mere mortals had their way. Mary is no submissive, silent wallflower. In this morning's scripture, she is proclaiming good news to many and difficult news for others. And she doesn't seem to be shying away from any of it. She's courageous and bold and what we might call a mighty girl. In my words, she's a badass rock star prophet. (laughs) On the surface, the beginning of Mary's story is about having a baby. But it's really about so much more. As commentator Nancy Rockwell points out, her call occurs in the pattern by which Jewish prophets are recognizably called. Angels come to them. Like Gideon, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jonah, an angel appeared and asked Mary if she would serve God. After the angel appears, each prophet has to make a decision, just as Mary does, often with a question or two. After saying yes to the angel's instructions, Mary, along with Elijah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Samuel, and Jonah, sets forth on a journey. In fact, in the Gospels, unlike many of the paintings you might have recalled with Mary in them, we don't ever find Mary sitting around at home. She's always out and about in a stable, fleeing to Egypt, at a wedding, at a temple, at Calvary, just like her prophetic colleagues. After Mary says yes to the angel, she begins the physical service that she is called to. See, while prophets are called to spiritual work, there is always a physical component as well. As the same commentator writes, the work of prophecy is physical work, bearing God into a weary and unwelcoming world. Mary's physical work happens to be caring, bearing, and raising a child. Now, I get that women are the ones to physically bear babies, not men. And so I understand the expectation since the dawn of time that women will have babies. Even today, there's an understanding, though it might not be quite as blatant as in biblical times, that to be fully a woman, you must have birthed a child. This is an experience and work that many women are called to, myself included, but not all of us women are called to this work or get to this work in this way, and there is nothing wrong with that. While I am grateful for the biblical witness of women as mothers, if that is the only role that we ascribe to them, and to Mary in particular, then we are missing the whole point Mary is doing way more than just having a baby. The angel asked Mary to take on a difficult role in the service of God. 
She knows full well that she'll be ostracized and shamed. She will have to change her vision of her present life and her future. And we all know that she will engage in work that will break her heart. All of this in the service of God. While she asks logistical questions about how this will all work, she says, yes, here I am. Let it be according to your word. Now Luke's account tells us that she goes with haste to see Elizabeth. She does not pass go. She does not collect $200. And she does not seem to tell anyone what has happened. And yet, when she gets to Elizabeth's door, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she begins exclaiming in a loud voice. The Greek word here is something like a mega voice. She's exclaiming all that is going on with Mary. And now we know where John the Baptist, the one who is within her, gets that voice for crying out in the wilderness. And Mary's response isn't, shh, I haven't told anybody yet. No. Her response is a radical protest song, crying, yes, I said yes to God's request, because God looks with favor on those who are lowly like me, because God's mercy is for those who fear God, because God has shown strength, because God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly, because God has filled the hungry with good things, because God remembers the promises God made to our ancestors and their descendants forever and ever. She said yes, because this was the God she wanted to be in relationship with, the God she wanted to serve. This is a phenomenal message for those who feel lowly and are hungry. And it's a terrifying message for those who are proud, powerful, and rich. But she doesn't shy away from it. She takes on the full role of a prophet as she speaks God's truth in the world. The very fact that she is the one saying it, let alone the actual message she is speaking, disrupts the normal order of things. Her song points out that the way of the world is not the way God intends the world to be. And so God has and will continue to turn things upside down. While God has created and formed each one of us, we have created and formed things that are out of order in God's eyes. We have set up systems of oppression, financial inequality, racism, sexism, classism, and the isms go on and on. In fact, Merriam-Webster announced in 2015 that their word of the year wasn't actually a word, but the suffix ism. It was reported that the editors of Merriam-Webster's dictionary said that there had been a huge spike in searches for words ending with the suffix that year, including socialism, fascism, racism, feminism, communism, capitalism, and terrorism. While we might not have personally created those negative isms or the systems ourselves, we are often complacent in them, and many of us benefit from them. It's in the midst of this world, in year one and in year 2018, that God gives voice to this prophet Mary and gives voice to Jesus to help them turn these systems on their head and to invite us to help in this work, to lend our voices to this kind of disruption. This 
is the work we are called to, not just in Advent, but every day. We are called to be courageous and bold. We are called to exclaim with mega voices that God's love is real and is for everyone. We are called to sing out that systems of injustice in our world are not okay. We can do this in as many unique ways as there are unique people in this room. You, me, all of us individually, together, we stand for God. And we stand for each other. And together we proclaim